ramping up restrictions. I think we are going to have to adjust and adjust and adjust uh, again and again and again. Will BC tighten up the rules as COVID cases rise? Lynn Valley Care Centre targeted by a hoax. The mysterious phone call that sparked fear among staff. And making sense of unimaginable loss. And I just feel she had so much more to do. Friends of Diana Ma Jones honour her memory on the eve of her killer's sentencing. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. BC is preparing to tighten COVID-19 guidelines for some businesses as we see another day of COVID-19 numbers higher than we would like. We have 30 new cases. That brings our total to 3,328. No new deaths, so that number holds at 189. 15 people are in hospital, three in the ICU. 2,873 people are considered recovered, leaving us with 266 active cases. Now, our phase three freedom is about to be restricted over fears we could see explosive growth in COVID-19 cases. The concerns fueled by Kelowna's growing outbreak, which stems from young people People gathering and spreading the virus among strangers. Richard Zussman has more on the industries that could be facing stricter rules. It's been a quiet summer on Shushwap Lake. Typically, these boats would be out. Instead, there are less bookings and different types of customers. We've seen the clientele switch into groups of people who um, are just comfortable within their own group. But the province is worried not all travelers are sticking to that. A spike in COVID-19 cases over the last few weeks directly linked to young people partying. And even mentions from officials that people are houseboat jumping and spreading the virus. There's a lot of cabin owners out there who uh, phone our office and let us know if that is transpiring. The province warning again Tuesday of potential explosive growth of cases. And we'll be introducing new regulations this week to help prevent it. We are going to have to adjust and adjust and adjust uh, again and again and again throughout this pandemic, which I remind everybody is not going away. There is no cure. The regulations expect to include restaurants under increased scrutiny due to customers jumping from table to table. We really want to make people to go in, have a great dining experience and get out. We're trying to minimize contact between patrons. There have also been cases of COVID-19 linked to people jumping from hotel to hotel room having parties. The association representing hotels will be watching closely to see the regulations government will put in place to prevent those sort of behaviours. We are managing and assisting people to understand their personal responsibility. The main reason for concern continues to be the Kelowna outbreak, where there are more than 70 cases now linked, spread out across the province. It has also led to a new communication strategy aimed at people in their teens, 20s and 30s. So we have there, for example, in delivering our message, a lot of social influencers who have been involved in putting out messages in the last few days. But the province knows social media alone isn't enough. Hoping new regulations will help ensure businesses won't be forced to shut down operations once again. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, Keith Baldry joins us live now in Victoria. Keith, Dr. Bonnie Henry talked about BC being at a tick, tipping point when she mm -hmm. had a press conference yesterday. What's the next move here? 
Well, we're going to see those restrictions Richard referred to, I think, announced later this week or early next week. And we're talking about things like perhaps uh, changing the hours of operation for some bars. Uh, but the, I talked to uh, Health Minister Adrian Dix about this today. He says the goal is basically to f find a way to stop these parties, particularly amongst young people, from occurring uh, in large gatherings. That's the problem in Kelowna. And that's why we've seen the spike in cases. Kelowna right now, the exposure there is driving the numbers. That's what's really behind that 102 ca uh, new cases reported over the last three days. They're trying to find a way to crack down on parties. Also, look for Dr. Bonnie Henry and Adrian Dix to step up the number of briefings they, they've been having. They've been having two a week, and well, that's when we were averaging just 10 a day. Now we're averaging 30 a day. I think they're going to get out there in front of the public uh, much more often. All right, uh, Keith, there's new data as well indicating where these cases are popping up is changing, or is that the, what you refer to when you yeah. talk about Kelowna? Exactly. And what we're talking about is active cases. That's an increasingly important number, the number of people who actually have the virus right now. And the Interior Health Authority had only two active cases at the beginning of this month. They now have 75. That's where the virus has spread. It's gone from the Fraser Health region dominating. Now it's the interior. That's the hot spot in B.C. All right, Keith, uh, we'll see how the numbers go tomorrow. Thanks for that. It was one of the facility's worst hit by COVID-19, and now we are learning a hoax may have played a role in the severity of the outbreak at the Lynn Valley Care Centre. North Vancouver RCMP have arrested one person alleged to have made a phone call to the centre in early March that caused what's being called a great deal of harm. Grace Key reports. Kathy Boyd's 82-year-old mother is a resident at Lynn Valley Care Center. Back in March, Kathy heard about a hoax call made during the early days of a COVID outbreak at the facility. Through the grapevine, I heard that a hoax call had been received in the middle of the night, um, warning staff to stay away from Lynn Valley Care. It was going to get closed down because COVID was all over the place. The call was made in the early morning hours of March 8 and appeared to originate from health authorities. A statement from Lynn Valley reads, it caused needless fear among residents and their families. It created apprehension among our staff who became reluctant to come to work. But some family members don't believe the hoax was the real reason behind the staff shortage. I believe it explained what happened the first day. But the staffing situation was terrible for the first 10 days, easily, probably longer. The real issue, without a shadow of a doubt, is that there are not enough people working in these care homes to care for our elderly people. Kelly Shillard's 82-year-old father is also a resident. She and several other family members stepped in to help during what they describe as heart-wrenching conditions. When my dad was sleeping, I would go and help others and bringing the food up. I had to do that because nobody was showing up to work. North Vancouver RCMP made an arrest into the hoax call. The person was later released without charges. I know it's being fully investigated and the individual uh, or individuals involved uh, can expect, I hope, to face the, uh, the, full, the full extent of the law. The investigation is still ongoing. Grace Key, Global News. Well, staycations just won't cut it. Bracing for an almost 70% decline in revenue this year, BC's hard-hit tourism industry says it needs a multi-million dollar government bailout to survive COVID-19. Ted Chernecki has more on the recovery plan and why the struggling sector says it's a good investment. As you might expect, in the middle of summer, Granville Island is surprisingly busy. But looks can be deceiving. 
almost all these visitors are local. Just try as much to keep vacationing within Canada because like I love this country. And as much as BC residents are encouraged to visit their own province this year, the fact is there aren't enough of us and we're cheap, spending about 30% of what an out-of-province visitor spends. What we need is a working capital grant that helps tourism operators remain solvent to sustain themselves until such time that travel resumes again in earnest. So the tourism industry has come up with a recovery plan. It's asking the province for $475 million just to keep businesses with a good chance of survival solvent. It wants another $190 million to help the industry adapt their operations to be pandemic safe and another $15 million for the industry's subsectors to create a more BC-centric supply chain. Total cost, $680 million in what's described as an initial investment. But without that funding right now and without that reco those recovery efforts right now, uh, the, the industry is going to look very different in a year than it does right now. The report suggests the immediate future for business closures looks grim. 10% of restaurants are now closed permanently, and that'll go to 50% if there's no more financial help this year. Hotel occupancy down 62% June to June, and there could be 120,000 tourism jobs lost if nothing's done. It further estimates industry revenue in a best-case scenario will go from more than $20 billion in 2018 to less than $7 billion this year, a 69% decline. Well, tourism was the first and hardest hit. It's likely the last to recover. History has shown it's human nature to explore. So when this pandemic is history, we can expect a surge in tourism worldwide. And every country will be competing for those lucrative dollars. After all, we'll all have a lot of debt to pay off. Ted Chernaki, Global News. Another Vancouver attraction is planning to reopen from its pandemic closure. Science World will kick off its reopening with free four-day access for essential workers starting this Thursday. Doors will open to the general public on August 1st. Tickets have to be booked online in advance and visitors will be limited to a three-hour maximum at the facility. Face masks will be mandatory for guests six years and older and social distancing, sanitizing and screening measures will be in place to ensure COVID-19 safety. Well, some good news for search and rescue teams dealing with a spike in call-out since the pandemic restrictions relaxed. The province announced new funding today. Nadia Stewart is live on the North Shore with more on the money and what it will be used for. Nadia. Yeah, Sophie, for crews already concerned about the increase in calls that they are seeing this year, there is a $6 million boost on the way. So far this year, since January, search and rescue crews have responded to over 700 calls across the province. But last week, the BC Search and Rescue Association says teams were called upon 110 times, and that's just within the first two weeks of July. Now, that is a 50% increase over this time last year. Now, of course, for the last few months, COVID-19 restrictions has meant people were staying off the trails. But the concern now is that caution is being thrown to the wind. And now more than ever, there is a need for people to be prepared before they head out onto the trails at COVID, as COVID-19 adds another level of risks for searchers already putting their lives on the line.
this uh, stable funding, long-term funding that they're going to be able to count on will help them to be able to, uh, to plan long-term, deal with the issues that they're facing, and know that we're able to maintain uh, the best search and rescue uh, organizations uh, anywhere in the country. Now, no doubt this is welcome news for search and rescue crews. The funding, though, isn't set to begin until the 2022-2023 fiscal year. Back to you, Sophie. All right, Nadia Stewart on the North Shore for us. Concern is growing for a UBC grad being detained in Saudi Arabia. Lujain Al-Hatloul has been imprisoned in Riyadh for more than two years. Her alleged crime? Driving a car. Why friends and family now fear for her life in just over a minute. Toronto's infamous chair girl is sentenced. Her punishment coming up later on the news hour. Plus, Edmonton drops Eskimos, what the CFL team will be known as for now. That's later. Right now, family and friends of a UBC graduate who has spent two years in a Saudi Arabia prison are fearing the worst tonight. Lujain Al-Hathlul was arrested in 2018 for driving which at the time was illegal for Saudi women. As Catherine Urquhart reports, her loved ones are now concerned she might not be alive. Lujain Al-Hathloul was a popular student at UBC, where she graduated six years ago. But now, after spending two years in a Saudi Arabian prison, family and friends say they fear the worst. The 30-year-old woman hasn't been heard from in more than two months. Lujain faced flogging. Um, she would face uh, different um, accounts of sexual assault, um, whipping. Um, uh, during Ramadan, the holy month for Muslims, um, they would force Lujain to eat um, and break her fast. Al-Hathlul was arrested in 2018 for driving in Saudi Arabia, which she had live-streamed. At the time, driving was still illegal for Saudi women. She was feisty and she was determined and very self-confident and uh, fearless. Despite the fact women were given the right to drive later that same year, she remained in jail. Family and friends say Lujain told them she'd been tortured and sexually assaulted. They're calling for support from UBC and the Canadian government. She went to UBC. She lived in Vancouver. She gave to the community while she was there in her time. And so I think that the Canadian government does have responsibility in inserting itself and in in finding out how we can free Lejeune. UBC acknowledges her courageous and selfless work advocating for human rights in Saudi Arabia, but says the university must be aware of diplomatic tensions between Canada and that country. A social media campaign with the hashtag FreeLujane has been launched by family members who are becoming increasingly desperate. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. BC's police watchdog is recommending charges after a suspect was seriously hurt in an RCMP-involved pursuit earlier this year. In early January, the Independent Investigations Office says an officer attempted a traffic stop near 156th Street and 104th Avenue in Surrey when the driver sped away toward Highway 1. The officer pursued him to the 104 Avenue on-ramp where the suspect vehicle went off the road and flipped several times, seriously injuring its driver. After reviewing the evidence, the police watchdog believes RCMP may have committed an offence related to the pursuit, and a report has been forwarded to the BC Prosecution Service. 
on the eve of sentencing for Rocky Rambo Waynam Cam, friends of his victims are speaking out. She would want to solve this problem of why, what was this motivation? How they remember Diana Ma Jones and why they believe she fought till the very end. Plus, a protest outside of Victoria Hospital, allegations of racism spark a review. Crews are on scene to a major crash here in Surrey. It's eastbound, just past the east end of the Portman Bridge, about halfway up Johnson Hill. It looks like only two of the available four lanes are getting by, and as you can see, the lineup stretches right onto the Portman Bridge. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $55 million, plus an estimated four Max Millions. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, hive of a crash in Surrey. Sentencing begins tomorrow for the man responsible for one of Vancouver's most violent and random murders. Rocky Rambo Waynam Cam will learn his fate in the killings of Diana Ma Jones and her husband Richard Jones in their home in 2017. For those who knew Ma Jones, the loss has been painfully acute and incomprehensible. They shared their loss with Arumina Dea. Every step, every beat, resuscitates memories. We loved her. She was so vibrant and how young and how enthusiastic she was and how beautiful she was. I'm so inspired by her independence, her braveness, uh, how fit she was. Diana Ma Jones, 64 years young, a dedicated dancer friend and occupational therapist. Diana Ma Jones has demonstrated creativity and one final rehearsal, September 26, 2017. It's the last time the group saw their friend alive. Jan phoned me, I was at work, and she said I had some really bad news. And it's hard for it to sink in when you hear really bad news. A random attack, the motive still unclear. Rocky Rambo Waynam Cam, a university graduate with no mental health or criminal history, slashed 68-year-old Richard Jones more than a 100 times and cut the throat of Ma Jones in the couple's home. There's no reason that he should have uh, attacked Diana. So that, that boggles my mind. Rocky, it's over. A key piece of evidence, a tiny speck of Ma Jones's blood discovered on the hinge of Cam's glasses. His DNA found under Ma Jones's fingernails. She would have fought till the end. It would have been like he'd been in a cat fight. No, she was. She was ferocious, but only ferocious when she had to be strong, like it was her strength and her toughness. That So it would have been horrible, absolutely horrible. Ma Jones's friends disappointed with defense's theory that Cam thought he was in a violent video game when he murdered the couple. But how did this young man slip through the system? I would love to know um, what, what was his motivation. A pile of painful questions which will never be answered. The group now hoping for a just sentence. If it's the... Two, sent, two life sentences, it's, to me it's fair because there are two lives lost. And um, if it's not, then we're okay because we're just going to keep going and keep dancing and remember her always. Romina Dea, Global News.
The province's anti-gang task force says its ongoing action targeting the Brothers Keepers gang has saved lives. The Combined Forces Special Enforcement Unit says since early 2018, they have targeted members of the gang or their affiliates more than 250 times. Those operations have led to the seizure of more than 30 kilograms of suspected fentanyl, methamphetamine, heroin and cocaine. During that same time period, the CFSEU says there has been a 38.5% decrease in gang-related homicides and attempted killings. Police say the Brothers Keepers gang consists of about a dozen core members and nearly 200 associates. Protesters gathered today outside Royal Jubilee Hospital to show their concern over the well-being of a young First Nations man and his troubling allegations of racist treatment at two Vancouver Island hospitals. The case of Connor Sutton has now also prompted a review of his case by the province's independent investigator into health care racism. Brad McLeod reports. Family, friends and supporters marched on the grounds of Victoria's Royal Jubilee Hospital, where 23-year-old Connor Sutton of the Souk First Nation has been receiving mental health treatment for nearly a month. His family says he's being held and they're getting few answers. And a meeting meant to shed light was just cancelled. He was just so excited that he was going to get his chance to be heard in, in, a, in a setting in a, in a fair way. Connor's situation has got the attention of Mary Ellen Trapel-Lafond, the head of a just-launched independent investigation of Indigenous-specific racism in BC Healthcare. Connor's parents said he returned home on a compassionate leave from the military. He told his dad he had mental pain and needed help. So Connor went to the Cowichan District Hospital. Slurred speech, um, very confused. His mother says he was initially treated. And sent home and then he went back the other day and begged them to admit him. They refused him. They told him to go to a homeless shelter. That's when Connor's family alleges he was assaulted by a security guard and Connor retaliated. North Cowichan Duncan RCMP said they did receive a report made about the incident, but there were no charges recommended or laid. Connor's dad ultimately took him to Victoria to get help at Royal Jubilee. He's been here for a month um, without a diagnosis. We don't really know or understand what's going on. Connor's mom says she has been intimidated by a hospital staff member. And the family may have to wait up to three months for another meeting to get answers while Connor remains in hospital. It's time that uh, Vancouver Island Health Authority uh, take immediate steps to address this because someone will die soon. The family, with the support of the Union of BC Indian Chiefs, is asking for an immediate meeting to be set up. We did reach out to Island Health. They were unable to respond in time for our deadline. Mary Ellen Terpella Fawn says she is looking into the facts of the case. Brad McLeod, Global News, Victoria. Just ahead, grim new milestones and hot spots in the U.S. COVID picture. We're exhausted. Just exhausted. Why cases there may be even higher than reported. Plus, three million people affected by floodwaters in China. How rescue teams are racing to save lives. Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6 and 980 CKNW, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC, presented in partnership with BCLC. With every play, you're making BC even better. Above this crash in Surrey at a different angle now, eastbound Highway 1 just east of the Port Man Bridge. Now, 
looks like the left lane of the Surrey exit lanes is also blocked by emergency crews. So traffic is still able to get by, but it is a slow crawl from basically the west end of the Port Van Bridge. The all-electric 2020 Chevrolet Bolt EBLT offers an estimated 417-kilometer range and up to $10,729 in total credits during employee pricing. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a crash in Surrey. Remarkable pictures out of China today where flooding is sending rescue teams into villages to save residents trapped by high water. In eastern China, breached levees left more than 10,000 people in need of rescue. In all, more than 3 million people have been impacted to some degree by floods resulting from unrelenting rains over the past three weeks. At least 141 people have died or have gone missing in flooding since the beginning of June. Police are now trying to piece together the timeline of the manhunt for Martin Carpentier. The 44-year-old Quebec man's body was found Monday evening in a wooded area not far from where his two daughters were found dead nine days earlier. Mike Armstrong is following the story. The body of Martin Carpentier was found in an area police had already checked. In fact, according to an officer we spoke to, it was one of the first areas police searched. One of the big questions now is, did police miss him or was he not there when they went by and he went later? An autopsy is being performed and should give the day Carpentier died as well as the cause of death. All police are saying right now is they believe he took his own life. The body was found in a wooded area behind a residence. It was the homeowner who made the grisly discovery. He ended up having to be treated for shock. The body was found just east of where six-year-old Remy and 11-year-old Nora were found July 11th. Carpentier was still missing for nine more days. Police still aren't saying whether any sort of a note was found or whether they have any information about his emotional state. A press conference has been called for Wednesday afternoon at Provincial Police Headquarters in Montreal. But because Carpentier wasn't found alive, there's fear some of the answers to questions may never be fully understood. Mike Armstrong, Global News, Montreal. A 20-year-old woman who tossed a chair off a Toronto balcony over a busy highway last year will not face jail time. Marcella Zoya, better known as Chair Girl, was sentenced to two years probation, community service and a $2,000 fine. Zoya pleaded guilty in November to mischief endangering life after a video went viral in February of 2019 showing her hurling a folding wooden chair from the 45th story of a downtown high-rise. Judge ruled Zoya will also still be allowed to use social media. With his handling of the COVID-19 crisis under fire and polls showing him trailing Joe Biden, Donald Trump resumed his coronavirus briefings today. The president telling Americans things will get worse before they get better, but downplaying the effect of the pandemic on his re-election chances. It will probably, unfortunately, get worse before it gets better. Something I don't like saying about things, but that's the way it is. It's the way, it's what we have. You look over the world, it's all over the world. I think the American people will judge us on this, but they'll judge us on the economy that I created. He has no idea what to do. He's zero. It's only one thing he has in mind. How does he win re-election? And it doesn't matter how many people get COVID and or die from COVID. Well, the CDC is saying tonight antibody tests show the virus is higher in some states than expected, as much as 10 times higher than reported. This as California passes 400,000 infections, close to New York's record, and other hotspots are emerging. 
With nearly 4 million Americans testing positive for the coronavirus, tonight the CDC says the true number of people infected is likely 10 times higher than reported in some regions. The new findings suggest those who are asymptomatic or didn't seek medical attention were likely spreading the virus in their own communities. Everything was so uncertain, like we didn't know if our dad was going to be able to get off the ventilator and we didn't know how bad my mom was at that time. When Claire and Grace Green thought they had a mild viral infection, they unknowingly passed COVID to their parents. Their father, Jason, nearly died. I feel like I had a strong desire to uh, continue with being a part of my family's life. The new analysis from the CDC, based on antibody tests, indicates the hardest-hit communities are nowhere close to achieving herd immunity, the level of exposure where the virus slows. Although the number of cases are 10 times higher than we thought they were, that number being much higher means the death rate is a lot lower. As California now surpasses a stunning 400,000 cases, the Golden State continues to set grim milestones for new infections and deaths. Facing a breaking point, some COVID patients in rural communities are being moved 70 miles away. Cities like Los Angeles and San Francisco are under tightening restrictions. We're exhausted. We're just exhausted. It's been going on for four and a half months now. With the pandemic taking a deepening financial toll, this the line for unemployment benefits in Oklahoma, the crisis is spreading to smaller states like Alaska, Wyoming, and Idaho. In Health Matters tonight, it's been more than two months since elective surgeries started being performed again across B.C. And today, the province's health minister provided an update on how the catch-up is going. The halt on those surgical procedures was put into effect March 16th with the goal of clearing hospital beds for a surge in severe COVID-19 cases, similar to what was then being seen in northern Italy and New York City. Thankfully, that surge never hit this province, and on May 18th, surgeries resumed. Now, with increased operating hours and the hiring of more surgical team staffers, it's projected it will take 15 months to clear the backlog. We said that we'd start calling patients May 7th to reschedule their surgeries. 62,744 patients have now been contacted about their surgery. We said we would start surgical services on May 18th and would increase over four weeks to near normal pre-COVID levels. On June 25th, we achieved 97% of operating hours for the same period in 2019. During the two-month halt, an estimated 23,400 surgeries were postponed or cancelled. It's been a fairly quiet forest fire season so far, but things may be heating up. Crews on the scene of a wildfire near Merritt. The latest on the situation just ahead. Plus, a rare sight in the Rockies, the grizzly bear capturing attention in Yoho National Park. Give a shout out, tag posts with hashtag BC Healthcare Heroes or email BC Healthcare Heroes at globalnews.ca to share with Global News. BC Healthcare Heroes in partnership with Fortis BC, caring for the BC communities where we live and work. You're watching Global News Hour at 6.
An out-of-control wildfire is burning in the interior. The Scahoon Creek Fire was reported yesterday morning just west of Merritt. It has since grown to 28 hectares in size, and two helicopters are currently dumping water on the flames. Three ground units are also on the scene for a total of 63 personnel. No structures are being threatened at this time. The cause of the wildfire is not known. Despite the arrival of the summer heat, there are currently only three wildfires burning in the province. That is great news, but mm -hmm. as we know in BC, Christy, things can always change and they can change very quickly. And I think we're seeing the change happen right now. So we've had three days of heat basically across southern BC. These are the temperatures from today, Sophie. And still we're seeing a change over the next few days overall, but I think you'll still see some areas like Marin and those areas around there will still maintain the heat. We're fully into summer now, so really be careful if you're outdoors, uh, enjoying the outdoors. Be careful with your fires and cigarettes and things. Now, Vancouver hit 27 degrees. That's a milestone. Here's why. We have been, um, oh, and with the human X, it was 32. Not quite the heat that we saw yesterday, but still a hot one. Uh, so finally, we surpassed 25 degrees. This is the first time this year we have. Today, we hit 27.4 degrees. And just to give you perspective, this is the latest in the year in over three decades. So uh, we've been waiting for that 25 degrees, and we finally hit it. Back in 1954, by the way, we didn't hit 25 degrees at all, but it's very rare for that to happen. Here's a look at Metro Vancouver. So the change that's on the way. Yeah. So tomorrow, not too bad, but Thursday, Friday, back below seasonal values. And we are going to see, uh, see more cloud cover and a change bringing in a few showers. So tomorrow, likely dry across most regions. You can see a few sprinkles potentially across Vancouver Island and up into the House Sound region. I wouldn't rule out a light sprinkle here in Metro Vancouver, but overall dry conditions, but more cloud cover. Better chance for our region to see some showers and that includes pushing into areas like Merritt will be on Thursday. Cloud cover with about a 40% chance of showers. So the next couple of days, a bit of a change, but we'll rebound just in time for the weekend. So there's your Wednesday forecast. Showers in through the far north, but breaks of sunshine across most regions with just a risk, a slight chance of a shower or a thunderstorm. More cloud cover certainly for our region tomorrow, but mostly dry. It's Thursday that we're talking about for about a 40% chance of showers. And then, yes, as I mentioned, clearing out just in time for the weekend. And Sophie, tonight's central windows weather window is a lookout over, yes, the valley. This is from Wood, uh, sorry, Mount Woodside, which is just near the Harrison Mills area. Brad Price sending this, this. This is just before he did a paragliding um, hmm. ride, would you say? Really? Yeah. Uh, paragliding. Light? Sure. Light? Right? Sure. Mm -hmm. Paragliding adventure. There you go. Well, that would be beautiful, a beautiful scene to paraglide over. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much, Christy. More video has surfaced of a rare white grizzly that has been spotted in BC's Yoho National Park. Global viewer Oli Talons came across two bears, one of them white, while driving through the park. The bear has been seen in both Yoho and Banff National Parks. Its white color is believed to be caused by a natural variation, which is unusual for grizzly bears, but it has been seen before. A little stretch there. The two grizzlies are believed to be about three and a half years old, which is old enough to no longer be with their mother. That's neat. I think the other grizzlies may be a little jealous of all the attention. Do you think <laughs> yeah. that's natural or do you think he had it dyed? Well, hair salons are open. Again. I know. And blonde bears have more fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not you true. You would know, Fire. I... <laughs> My life's completely dull. I, I do not stand up to that.
okay, so in sports, we're going to talk. Well, I know we talked at the uh, start of training camp about Brock Besser. All his teammates have been very impressed by him. And also, the Whitecaps are having no fun at Disney World. <laughs> All right, coming up later, the last days of Neowise, how stargazers are capturing the comet before it disappears. All right, Squire, what's happening? Well, um, Canucks training camp still going on. And at the start of the training camp, we discussed how the Canucks need a resurgence from Brock Besser. Brock Besser, make that. He uh, went into the break on a 12-game goalless drought, although 11 of those 12 were before he injured his ribs in early February against Calgary. But every one of his teammates is saying that the Besser they're seeing right now is one who could make a difference against Minnesota. Perhaps a one-on-one drill like this one between Besser and Patterson shows Petey that his buddy Brock is ready to go full throttle when the Stanley Cup tournament begins. All the practices and the scrimmages, he's been looking really good. Uh, I think he looks faster. I think he looks like more, I don't know, comfortable is the right word, but... Um, I think he looks way more composed, way more poised in his game, and and uh, and they play with a lot more confidence. We all know Besser has battled injuries during his time with the Canucks, but right now he's pain-free, and he also, because of the pandemic, had to change his training regimen, and that seems to have helped too. You know, I I don't know. It's a little different. Uh, just being home, a lot of Peloton. I rode a lot of. A lot of Peloton, um, a lot of rollerblade rides, um, you know, just other workouts at home. Uh, so um, I don't know if it was the Peloton or what it was, but, um, you know, I feel quicker out there and I feel stronger. And, um, yeah, like I said, it's the best I've felt in a long time. And hopefully I can continue to, to keep it going. Disneyland or Disney World is supposed to be the happiest place on Earth. But not for the Vancouver Whitecaps. Their experience at the MLS tournament in Disney World down in Orlando, Florida, has been rather unhappy. Star players didn't go down because of COVID-19. They blew a 3-1 lead in their first game against San Jose and lost 4-3. And now they're going to have to play the final game of the round robin against Chicago without their number one goalkeeper, Max Crapo who is going to require surgery because he broke his hand Sunday against Seattle. Crapo's injury was another part of the Whitecaps series of unfortunate events. Getting his hand stepped on during a 3-0 loss to Seattle, which has put Vancouver on the verge of elimination. But despite two losses and a broken hand to his keeper, Marcus Santos refuses to do the woe-is-me routine. I feel completely different. I feel that it's a huge opportunity to see how you behave as a person. Uh, in in an environment like that. The environment is a tournament that Vancouver is undermanned and unlikely to succeed in. They have to beat Chicago on Thursday by at least two goals just to have any chance to stay there. And as much as the Caps want to win, they know this event is no indication of what they really are or could be. 
to say that this tournament shows what the white caps are about. No, when you have a third of the roster not here, totally affected by COVID or injury and uh, a player that had to leave and a player injured, it doesn't give the reality of what it is. So uh, I'm at peace. Um, my players are at peace. We're very aware of what we're going to mean when we're going to have everybody together. So we just want to honor uh, the club by our work. It's official. Edmonton's football team is no longer the Eskimos. The name will be wiped off everything, and until they can find a new one, you can call them pretty much whatever you like. Officially, they'll be Edmonton Football Club. There is no timeline to come up with a new name. What about Rough Riders? <laughs> yeah, Ottawa gave that up years I ago. I mean, it seemed to work for other teams. Yeah, yeah, why not? Okay, thanks. It's a good idea. I like that, actually. Let's check in with Jay Durant now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. That is a great idea. I'll support that. Uh, A bike park built by East Van Kids is being taken down by the city. We'll have that story for you. Plus, rescue crews were called to a recreation area near Nanaimo this afternoon when a man found himself in trouble in the middle of a river. We'll show you how that turned out. And a troubling report today from researchers at UBC. It concerns threats faced by popular species of seafood, which ones are most at risk and what the greatest threats are that they're facing. We'll have those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11, Sophie. Sounds good. Thanks, Jay. Tonight's Salute to Healthcare Heroes is up next. Plus, the once in seven millennia event that's keeping people up late at night. All right, just before tonight's healthcare hero, a heads up if you dined at Earl's in Port Coquitlam last week, Fraser Health has now identified three dates the public may have been exposed to COVID 19. Anyone who visited the Earl's on Shaughnessy Street on July 15th from 3.30 to 10.30 p.m., July 16th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m., or Friday, July 17th from 9 a.m. to noon, is asked to monitor their health closely and get tested if you show any sign or symptom of COVID-19. The restaurant did close temporarily for deep cleaning when three staff members recently tested positive for the virus. Well, the COVID-19 pandemic has raised all kinds of fears and concerns, but it's been especially tough for many who already have complicated health issues. Tonight's healthcare heroes have been nominated by a patient currently undergoing chemotherapy. He wanted to remain anonymous, but he wants to recognize the outstanding team at the Vernon Cancer Clinic located in Vernon Jubilee Hospital. Pictured here, Michelle, Maddie, Carolyn and Maddie, and here's Stacy, Allison, Trish, Mike, and Francis. He says, prior to COVID-19, the team worked hard to create a warm and welcoming atmosphere. Want me to help you? Yes. Okay. Always taking the time to explain procedures and ease fears while treating every patient with respect, care, and compassion. When the pandemic was declared, The team immediately put into place all of the protocols necessary to ensure the safety of their patients. Despite the stress, all of these changes must have created. The team continued to provide the same quality of care. So to the team at the Vernon Cancer Clinic, your patient says you are truly, truly his healthcare hero. And we thank you for showing up for BC during these uncertain times. And of course, as we tell you every night, if you have a BC healthcare hero you would like to see recognized, send an email 
to BC Healthcare Heroes at globalnews.ca and send a few pictures and some details as to why they are your hero. And we would love to feature them next. And thank you very much. I have to pass on my thanks to the team at the Cancer Clinic at the Vernon Jubilee Hospital and say to our nominator, we're thinking of you. Well, you may have already seen the late night spectacle in the sky or heard about the NEOWISE comet from inspiring future astronomers and stargazers. Global's Sydney Morton has some of the spectacular pictures from one local photographer and your best chance to catch a glimpse. A cosmic visitor has astronomers and stargazers extra excited about the night sky. It's going at uh, a pretty quick velocity. It's going at tens of kilometers per second as it orbits around the sun. But in the sky, when you look at it in the sky, you don't notice, you don't perceive motion. You know, faster than anything you ever seen on Earth, but uh, we're so far away that you can barely perceive its motion. The Neowise comet is the reason for the excitement. The comet is now heading away from the Earth's orbit, but it can easily be found as long as you stay up late enough. If you just look below the Big Dipper near the horizon, you may see it as this recent video was shot near Vernon shows. It's amazing seeing something so clearly and so differently on the camera than you can see with the naked eye. Howell set up her camera on a tripod to take a thousand photos every 18 seconds overnight to trace the comet's movement through the sky. She was not alone as numerous viewers have sent us photos of the comet. So this particular comet, Comet Neowise, is uh, about a five kilometer across basically giant snowball that formed probably in the area around where Jupiter or Saturn is today. Uh, and it condensed out of dust and ice that uh, was in the very cold early solar system. That's been orbiting around the sun for four billion years, and now it's coming in and evaporating away. Cavalars predicts that we will be able to see the comet for another week as it travels away from the sun. And as it evaporates, there's two things that are happening when you get the gas coming off. And so that gas lifts off the surface and that creates this kind of gaseous nucleus and a tail of gas going off behind it. It's the first comet since Hale-Bopp in 1997 that you can see from your backyard. And the next comet that will be visible cannot be predicted just yet. Sydney Morton, Global News. Still some good evenings to see it, Christy. Yes, we're starting to see a little bit more cloud cover over the next few days, but tonight should be good. All right, that's all the time we have. Have a good evening, evening everyone.